0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, the scripture reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter four, verses one through nine. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep undoing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, as we come to this moment, We come to this moment from a variety of different backgrounds and experiences this week. Some of us coming to this moment feeling rested, hopeful, anticipating what you might do or say in our lives, seeing the future as a bright possibility. Others of us come to this moment exhausted, or afraid, or angry, or depressed, or holding a grudge against someone else that we know is eroding our soul from within, but we just can't seem to let it go. We come to this moment believing and trusting and full of faith. We come to this moment doubting and cynical and skeptical. Many of us remembering a time when we used to believe these things and you seemed so close to us and now we're wondering if we can ever believe these things again because you seem a million miles away, wondering what happened to us or what happened to you however we find ourselves right now, help us to see that we have far more in common than we realize. That you see us in all of our complexity and contradictions, the ways we get it and the ways we don't get it, the ways we are holding it together and the ways we're coming undone. You see it all and you love us and you give yourself to us in the sacrificial work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask now that you do perhaps the most difficult thing of all, that you'd convince us that you love us this much that you'd teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. You would bless us and send us out to be agents of your resurrection, hope, and renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, throughout high school and college, I was an avid snowboarder. I still love snowboarding, but um, you know, becoming a father of three has not made me an avid snowboarder. Back in college, I was a snowboard instructor at some of the local hills right here at Snow Summit and uh, Bear Mountain. My buddy Chris Muller and I, on my days off, we would go up there in college. We made sure to uh, not have classes scheduled on Friday mornings, or Fridays at all for that matter. So we'd drive in my 89 Honda Accord up to Big Bear, and we'd snowboard all day long. And then we'd sleep overnight in my car because we couldn't afford a hotel room. Uh, so there's a, all sorts of like Bear Gryllis, Man versus Wild survival stories in there for that one. And then we'd wake up as early as possible on Saturday and hit the slopes again. And then when I was working, my favorite gig was whenever I would be instructing children to snowboard, which was the majority of the lessons. And one of the things, i it's always so fun just to teach them was, just pay attention to where you're looking while you're going down the mountain. Not only is it gonna keep you from crashing into other people, but there's just a basic principle. Where you look is where the board is going to go, and where the board goes, your body will also follow. So in other words, where you focus will really determine where you end up. So don't focus on the trees, for example, right? Don't focus on the other snowboarders and skiers. Focus on a healthy path down the hill. Where you focus is going to determine where you go. Now, I think that principle's at work in what the Apostle Paul is writing right here to this church in Philippi. Because Paul is writing as he is in a prison, in a Roman prison. He's in chains. And that's really critical for us to understand. Because when he says things like, rejoice, I will say it again, rejoice. He's not saying that on some tropical beach while he's holding his favorite beverage in his hand, watching the surf go by. He is saying that under duress, under extreme discomfort that will eventually lead to his own imprisonment in Rome and eventually to his own death. So the question is, how can Paul be in chains and say something like, I've learned how to be content in all circumstances? How can he be in a prison and say, rejoice? Now, I want to point out, and we're going, to, we're going to get into that and see what that means for each of us, but if you go down the street right here to Verbatim Books on the next block, which I would say, if you have not experienced it, is one of the finest used bookstores I have ever been to. Do not miss it. Verbatim Books. Okay. That's, uh, they can send their check later. Um, you go to that bookstore, and I'm sure there's a very big, robust self-help section, and there's probably a section within that about how to deal with anxiety. And if you go to the self-help section in the bookstore and you see how do you deal with anxiety, none of them start by saying, if you want to deal with anxiety, think about the deep and big questions of life. Right? Who are you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? What is the meaning of life? Where is all of this headed? No, 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 no. Because we are modern, kind of action-oriented people. That book would never sell. If you go to the anxiety self-help section, it's all technique, right? Here are some meditation practices. Here are some mindfulness practices. Here are some breathing practices. Here are some techniques for observing all of your thoughts and watching them float by like clouds. None of this is bad or wrong in itself. But my point is that how do we deal with anxiety? We go straight to technique. And Paul says actually, and Christianity by and large would say, there's nothing wrong with that except that's just treating the surface wound. There's actually a deeper soul sickness going on for each and every one of us that God desires deeply to address, to heal, and to make whole. So when Paul says, if you are being persecuted or if you're going through an uncertain spiral season of life like many of us are, rejoice. But how do you get there? He says in verse 8, think, use your mind, Think about the deeper questions of life. Like me telling those children learning to snowboard, realize that where you focus is where your life is going to end up. Where you're looking is where your body is going to follow. So the question is what are you focusing on? Be aware of what you're thinking about. What you think about is not neutral. And this goes back to a very old adage watch your thoughts because they become your words, watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your habits. Watch your habits because they become your character. And watch your character because it becomes your destiny. And Paul says, Oh, yeah, they're just uncovering something that God has been saying to us for years and years and years and generations and generations. Be mindful of what you think about. So here's the big question we're going to address today How do you, in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of a political whirlwind, in the midst of cries for racial justice and racial unity, in addition to just how difficult it is to be a human being anyways. How do you go through a season like this and not get overwhelmed by it and not check out of it, not become more bitter and cynical and apathetic? How do you go through a season like this and actually become more hopeful, more connected, more resilient, to even be able to hear Paul's invitation to rejoice and take that seriously. Paul would say, pay attention to the focus of your thoughts. So today, let's consider how to concentrate and think about a bigger story, a more significant identity, and a more glorious future, okay? First, a bigger story. There was a man named Viktor Frankl in the 20th century. and Viktor Frankl was a a neurologist and a psychologist in Germany. He ended up going to a German concentration camp and surviving it. And in the midst of being in that camp, he would look for ways to help and to serve his fellow prisoners. And as a psychologist and a therapist and a neurologist, he did a lot of mental health, emotional health work with people in the midst of those terrible, terrible atrocious circumstances. And later on, he wrote uh, the, his famous book, which actually he wrote anonymously, and then it went on to become his best-selling book, and he always thought it was ironic that the one he wrote anonymously was the best-selling one. It was entitled Man's Search for Meaning, Man's Search for Meaning, and he reflects in the, in the opening, I think it's the introduction or the first chapter, on his time in that German concentration camp, in that Nazi cha- concentration camp, when um, prisoners were dying, and everyone was losing hope. And he said, you could tell that people's reaction to that terrible circumstance would be able to predict if they were going to make it out in a healthy way or not mentally. If they were going to be able to go through this emotionally resilient with hope or not. He said, some just gave up and you could see in their bodies when they gave up long before their bodies gave out. He said some put up a bitter, hard, cynical shell and they became not only bitter towards the, you know, the treacherous guards and the system there in the concentration camp, but they would become bitter and mean towards one another as well. He said, but there was a third group that could actually maintain hope in the midst of the most hopeless circumstances. And these were the people who became more resilient because they could do things like imagine a loved one who was not there with them, who was waiting for them to get out. Imagine someone else that they're connected to on the outside who was thinking about them, who they were still connected to. They were able to locate their present circumstances in a much bigger story of connection, of hope. See, in this passage, Paul is writing about being in chains and encouraging us to rejoice but he's able to locate his story in a much bigger story. So in chapter one, this is a very short letter, it's only four chapters long. In chapter one he says, I know you've all heard about my suffering. So he's not minimizing suffering, he's not saying it's okay or it doesn't matter or don't worry about it, he's facing it. I know you've heard about it and he's placing it in a much bigger context. I know you've heard about my suffering, but I want you to know the things I'm suffering are actually serving to advance the purposes of God's good news in this world. I want you to know that because of my current condition in chains, even, you know, even the head governor has his servant hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, hearing about God's forgiveness and new life. I would have never gotten an audience with this person if I wasn't in this position. At the end of the letter, he says, Not only do I greet everybody, the emperor's household greets everybody as well. How is he able to say that? Well, apparently he had met the emperor's household at some point. He's able to say, This is a terrible situation. Don't get me wrong. And God is at work in the midst of all the uncertainty, confusion, and discomfort right now. He sees himself in a much bigger story. You know, This is a, a picture of what you get in the original Star Wars, which I still contend is the best one. Everyone has thoughts on that. That's great. But there's the moment where Obi-Wan Kenobi is, is in a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader. Bit of a spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably not going to see it. Um, he's fighting Darth Vader, and he says, If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. In that moment, able to locate his condition in a much bigger story. For him, it was the force. For Paul, he would say, it is a God who is at work in this world in ways that are visible and invisible. And we'll get into that. See, I experienced that as I pastor this church, as I walk with you, as we walk together through this season. Uh, I always tell people, pastoring in COVID is four times the work, and you only visibly see half of the results. And yet, there's always these great little surprises that pop up all around. As we had our Know Your Neighbor gathering the last Saturday of our last month, Janie was leading it, we were all out there, and people would come by and they'd grab lunch and they'd share their story and they'd talk about what's going on in their life, and then they'd go, Pastor Matt, I just want you to know I'm a part of the church. I'm there each Sunday. I'm tuning in online. I look at them and I say, I had no idea you were a part of the church. I love that we we're a part of the same community together. Um, this week, one of my dear old friends, who I don't get to spend enough time with, Shane, if you're out there, hello, my friend, texted me and said, hey, Matt, I've been joining in at church and watching the sermons and listening in. I had no idea my old friend was a part of church with me right now. God is at work in ways that otherwise uh, I wouldn't be able to see. Um, Even as the Zilliachs family joined the church last week, part of that was because COVID has pushed our church to be online and our church being online has made this community more accessible to them as well. There are many of you who are a part of this church because a friend in this community sent you the web address and now you're joining in and you're being reunited with God and reconnected with others and redirected outward in mission to serve all our neighbors. See, I would never ask for COVID, nobody in their right mind would. I'm not going to say this is easy or comfortable because it's neither, but I will say, That God is at work in the midst of all the ups and downs and uncertainty and confusion. In some ways we could detect and report on and celebrate in many ways that are under the surface that we even now can't detect. And so that is part of the Christian vision or perspective to be able to say my story takes place in the context of a much bigger story. Personally, I'll just share with you, you know, in the first three months of COVID, as I'm both walking with people through increased depression, increased difficulty, decreased resources, uh, relationships that are getting very difficult, and then reading about in, in many different studies and periodicals just the global pandemic of depression and suicide that is taking place in the midst of this pandemic. Um, Part of what encouraged me personally was to say, I'm not just going to watch things get worse and worse and more difficult and more difficult. I want to take care of my mental and emotional health as well. I called up a very good counselor who was recommended by a friend, started going to counseling each week and saying, look, I want to be the healthiest version of myself in part of God's great ironic kingdom that is marked by goodness and renewal and refreshment. In this very season, I don't want to go down and down and down. I want to become the healthiest, most resourced, most buoyant person and pastor that I can, not only for my own health, but so I have something to offer to my family. So I have something to offer to you as well. And I've seen many of you do that as well. See, that's the great irony. At a time of global unrest and health diminishing, to actually seek out not only our own health, but the health of others. We do that because we locate our story in a much bigger story. We locate our present circumstances in God's grand narrative. And so a Christian is able to look at your current circumstances and say, this world was created by a good God who blessed it and takes delight in it. And yes, it has gone off the rails. It has gone sideways as we have rebelled and things are decaying and yet God promises to renew all things. And how do you know that's going to happen? Look at Jesus Christ. Look at the cross. See that God in his love and his wisdom and care has not just watched from far off as the world goes off the cliff into oblivion, but actually so committed to the renewal of this world that he became one with it himself. The God of creation, of renewal, of redemption, and the God of new creation. That one day, he will return to make all things new in a new heaven and a new earth, inviting us into that great kingdom. And so to locate your story in that bigger story means you don't diminish your present circumstances. You don't ignore them. It puts them in proper context and perspective. So very practically, the question is, what's the story that you're living by right now? Is it a story that you are alone, The story that you are abandoned, the story that th- tomor- there is no chance for tomorrow to be better than today? Because if that's the case, then hope leaves out the back door. But a Christian can always say, as real and difficult as these circumstances are, there's a bigger story of God's renewal and redemption taking place all around me. And so we can both face our circumstances and have hope moving forward. This is what we do every Wednesday night in our community group. Uh, in the CG that meets on Zoom. If you want to be a part of it, please just let me know online through the contact form. But we actually remind each other of this big story and encourage one another to live into it and challenge one another and support each other as we go out as agents of this bigger story together. This is what we celebrated last week in baptism as we enter into that big story of God. So the question what are you thinking what do you fill your mind with what's the big story and paul says think think about that much bigger story as you locate your present circumstances he also invites us to think about a much more significant identity a more significant identity there's a place where jesus says blessed is the person who hears my words and puts them into actions they're like a person who builds their life who builds a house on a rock And the winds come and the waves come, but that house, their life is not going anywhere because the rock's not moving. Uh, This last Monday, I went out lobster hunting with my father-in-law, which is awesome. We didn't catch anything. So you know what they call free diving for lobsters? If, uh, If you don't catch anything, it's snorkeling. That's all it is. But it was still a really nice day. And there was like big surf and low visibility. It wasn't the best conditions, but it was still a good day in the ocean. And I was watching as these waves were crashing upon this rock. And every now and then a huge surge of really big waves would come in and you would watch this rock get obliterated. The rock would disappear in the white foam of this torrential wave that would crash upon it and it would disappear and I'd say, that that rock's gone. That's the last we're ever going to see of that rock. And yet the wave would recede, the water would roll back, and that rock has not moved an inch. Jesus says, that's what it looks like to build your life on me. To build your identity on me. To know that you are a beloved child of God caught up in my glory and my welcome and my renewal. And so the waves of life will crash on you. It will feel like that rock is going to be no more. And yet the waves will recede and you still will be standing because I will never leave you or forsake you. A much more significant identity. Paul says, I don't locate my identity in my present circumstances. In chapter 3 of this letter, he actually gets very specific. And he says, if anyone wants to brag, I have more reasons to brag than anybody else. I have the highest level of education from one of the best universities you can have. I have the citizenship of the right country. Um, I am politically in the right place. My pedigree, my family name, my tribe, all from the right place. I am a political insider, an educational insider. I am a, um, a citizenship insider in every way. And he says, and yet, when I want to boast that's not what I go to. That's not the most important thing about me. The most important thing about me, in fact, I consider all of that to be trash compared to the excelling beauty and glory of being identified with God in Christ. What do you put your identity in? What do you look to to tell you that you matter? that you're significant, that you're lovable, that you're worthy, that you belong, what do you look to? And he says, if you look to anything other than me, you can even take good things and make them ultimate things. Your career, your bank account, your health, your looks, we take good things, we make them ultimate things, but they're not ultimately strong enough or noble enough to sustain us through the waves of this life, and they ultimately fail. And he says, don't you know the truest, most important thing, the rock-like foundation of your life has always been offered to you from the very beginning. It is you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. A more significant identity. See, but we forget. We develop spiritual amnesia. This is why every Sunday we come back together and talk about these things so we can remember and continue walking forward together. Paul invites you to think about a bigger story, a more significant identity, and a glorious future. Chapter four, verse one, the very beginning of our reading begins with the word, therefore. And as we talk about in our community group every Wednesday, whenever Paul says, therefore, you have to see what it's therefore. So he always, you know, therefore is always a conjunction referring back to whatever was said previously. So what, what did he just say? What is he building all this on? Here's what he's building it on. The end of chapter three, verse 20 and 21, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. We are expecting a Savior, Jesus Christ. He will transform our humiliations to conform to his glory. Therefore, you can stand firm in the Lord. See, Because God is at work in this world, and because one day he will transform our humiliations into his glory, a Christian has a reason to view the future with hope, which can actually give you buoyancy in the present. Now, how do we know? How is Christianity not just opiate of the masses, right? that just makes you feel better? It's, it's like a, a, a religious teddy bear that just makes you feel better in the dark but actually cannot um, provide any real comfort or support. How do we know that this is actually true? And Paul would say, "Look at the cross." If you want to know that Jesus is actually working in the midst of all of your difficult circumstances right now, even when you can't see it, even when it feels like he might be asleep at the wheel, look at the cross. Because it's on the cross that Jesus voluntarily, willfully took all our humiliation, all our pain, all our sorrow, all our sickness, all of our sadness, all of the injustice of this world. All the things we've done to ourselves, all the things we've done to others, all the things that have been done to us, individually and systemically, he takes all of that upon himself on the cross and lets it crash upon him like a tsunami tidal wave. And three days later, in the empty tomb of his resurrection, he shows that that does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Sorrow does not have the final word. The final word is new life and hope. In his resurrection. A Christian looks to the future to make sense of the present. Or let's put this another way. Let's go back to that moment at the cross. Let's think and imagine that you are there in that moment. At the cross where Jesus is being crucified on trumped up charges by the empire, unjustly crucified by the state, And you're at the cross, surrounded by Jesus' friends and family who eventually do all leave and abandon him. And you are in the midst of the saddest, most dejected moment of your life. You're terrified. And you think, it's over. It's all over. Except what you can see on this side of the resurrection looking back, that it was actually in that moment of extreme hopelessness that God was actually working out the renewal of the entire world. And so a Christian can say, I look at the cross and see that God brings life in the midst of death and he's at work even when it seems like everything's over. And so right now, because of that glorious future, I can have faith and trust and hope right now. Because of that, to be a Christian means that you have all sorts of resources at your hands to live in this world with its unpredictability, with its volatility, with its difficulty, and its sorrow. With your fingers out of your ears, with your hands away from your eyes, actually engaged and paying attention and doing it with hope. You look back at the cross, you look forward to the new creation, and you make sense of your current circumstances right now. This is the future that we celebrate and anticipate every time we come together at this table. A more glorious future. I had a dear friend come over and have a coffee with me on my front porch this week. He's also a pastor of a church in San Diego. Very, very smart friend. And and as we were concluding, I said, you know, every time I get together with you, I feel like I learn so much in the moment and you make me want to learn more. And he turns and goes, Every time I get together with you, I have hope for humanity. Now, I was not fishing for that compliment. I was actually struck by it um, and surprised by it. But all we had talked about was what we're talking about right here. That when you actually get into the deep story, the true story of the whole world, of Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection, you can actually begin to have hope for humanity. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, also who went to a German concentration camp, uh, theologian, pastor, um, also talks about this great future hope. And In one of his sermons, he said, When dark hours come, and when the darkest hour comes upon us, then let us hear the voice of Jesus Christ which cries in our ears, Victory is won. In the midst of the darkest hour, let us hear the voice of Jesus Christ that cries in our ears, victory is won. Martin Luther King Jr. picking up on this theme said, we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. To look at the disappointments and the difficulties of this moment in the much more beautiful, big, significant story of God's glorious future. Now, really quickly, what are the implications here? I think you're beginning to see already there are implications where uh, focus on your thoughts and what you're thinking about because where you're focusing is where your life's going to go. So what, do you, what dominates your thoughts, right? Do you have a sense of that bigger story? Do you have a sense of that deeper, more significant identity found in him? You begin to analyze your life and say, where do I put my faith and trust? All sorts of different things. What does it look like to realign with his calling in my life? You remind each other of that glorious future. You know what it means? It means that you and I can rejoice now with hope and be activated in mission to love and serve and turn outward to others. How do I know this? This is what Paul's doing. So Paul is in prison. If ever it was a time to get in the fetal position and focus inward and just take care of himself, that would probably be the moment. And yet he's saying at every moment, every opportunity I get, I'm looking for an opportunity to love, to care, to serve, to reach out, to transform, whether it's with the guards who are chained to him, whether it's with the emperor's household, or whether it's with the church in Philippi that he makes sure to write a letter to, to check in with them, to see how they're doing. Don't you see the pattern of the Christian life is not just inward renewal, but there's also this outward mission. And with COVID-19, with calls for racial justice and equality, with all that's going on right now, maybe your spheres of influence have changed a bit. Your circumstances most definitely have. But the calling remains the same, to follow Christ in mission to renew the world. So what does it look like now, not only to allow him to tend to your particular needs, but what are the opportunities you have today to reach out, to be an agent of that resurrection hope? You know what else it means? It means a Christian sees it as necessary to pursue reconciliation and unity in the midst of conflict. In the very beginning, Paul is saying, you know, because we have this great inheritance on its way, because of the coming renewal. Because of all that, stand firm. And by the way, I urge these two women in the congregation to seek unity, that they would be of one mind. Now, here's, here's the qualifier. It doesn't say get unity by thinking the same thing. Okay, that's uniformity. It says get unity, pursue unity even among your differences in Christ Jesus. This is a whole another sermon, and we're going to wrap up here in a minute. But I just want you to think, a Christian walks into the room and says, there's so many differences here. Let me start by finding my common ground. I had this conference call with an old friend and it was along political lines and I gotta be very candid with you. I was not looking forward to it because I know we do not share the same political views through and through and I love this person. We spent the first 55 minutes talking about our history, our past, the ways we love each other, what God's doing in our, in our lives and five minutes on politics. That was a much healthier conversation so that we were able to leave and say, though I totally disagree with you and don't see things the way you do, we have a lot in common. Christ holds us together. What does it look like to pursue reconciliation and unity. And I know that's complex, especially right now in our political environment. It might mean really good boundaries. It might mean not even having those conversations with certain people. So it does require some discernment and and some realization of the right way to do it. But the category remains the same. We are called to be people of unity and reconciliation. In a world that is getting torn apart, in a country that's being torn apart right now, Republican or Democrat, urban or rural, black or white, north or south, any differentiator you want to find, there are forces at work trying to drive us all apart. And a Christian says, I'm going to pursue unity. I'm not sacrificing truth for unity, but I'm going to make sure that unity is coming first. That is a major priority. And so let me just leave you with this. Mindful of God at work in this world, hopeful of God's coming new kingdom. Stand firm. Be of the same mind. Rejoice. Go to God with all of your needs. And as you do, the God of peace will comfort you. Let's pray together. Gracious God, would you give us the grace to do this now, to see that um, in the midst of all of our circumstances that swirl, that you actually invite us to stop and consider our focus in life, and you actually give us something to focus on, something substantial, as we consider your bigger story, as we consider our identity, as we consider the glorious future that you're bringing. Help us to ground ourselves in that reality so that we might be your very presence of renewal wherever we go. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.